Good morning to you. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us today as we worship the Lord and we give Him this time. And I just really appreciate you making that a priority today. Uh, before we pray, before we get in this couple announcements, I um, wanted to make mention of if you um, are interested in learning the soundboard back there and would like to uh, learn how to run sound, kind of cool. We got a new soundboard last year and there's a pretty easy learning curve on that. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So if you're interested, Charlie, raise your hand. Charlie's right there. Just see him after church or give us a call and I'll put you in contact with Charlie and, uh, and, and you know he can start teaching you. You can shadow along with him. That would be great. Also, if you want to do some of our computer stuff, you'd like to learn some of that, like the lyrics and doing PowerPoint and all that stuff. We'd love to have you volunteer and, and be a part of that and just Give us a call or you can chat with me. I'd like to teach you that. Again, if I can do it, anybody can do it because uh, I'm not that technically savvy and uh, it just takes a little bit of learning and you can do it. All right, let's pray. Let's get right into this. Uh, Jesus, we love you and we honor you. Uh, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you want to speak to our hearts. Lord, that you are the living word. And that, Lord, you said some very amazing things about yourself. And uh, Lord, as we look at those words, some of those words today, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear from you, to know you, to love you in a deeper way. And Lord, allow you to speak to us, allow you to challenge us. And so Holy Spirit, illuminate the word of God to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing this series called Authentic. Um, you can see the quest for to find true faith, genuine Christianity, and the real Jesus. Um, I believe that there's a desire for the authentic, the genuine in our world, and I believe that the church must be on the forefront of finding out what that means so that we can reach the world who is so desperately looking for something real, something authentic. And, uh, and, and again, I believe that God is calling us to be real, to be genuine, to reveal Him in and through us. And so I've, we've been in the series at what, what it means to be a, an authentic follower of Jesus, but I want to take the next few weeks and I want to look at what it says here is what Jesus says of himself. We're going to let Jesus speak for himself. Um, a lot is said in our culture about, you know, there's theologians that take different portions of the Bible, and there's peoples, and there's groups, there's denominations, and they take parts of what he said or what he taught, and we can kind of create our own doctrine. If you do a, 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 a study on church history, a lot of times a lot of splits and denominations came out of the, the, the very fact that they would find something doctrinal and say, well, I don't think that that really means what it says it means, and some other group are saying, well, it means this, and Another group might say, well, I think it means this, and you have all these different groups because that is one of the questions as a believer that I've gotten before in talking to people, to, to just people that don't know Christ, and you get in conversations with them. When I was in the Air Force, I had this kind of similar conversation in a couple of ways. It's like, you know, it's great that you're, you know, you follow Jesus, you're a Christian, and, 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 and you know, you go to church, and 
if, that, if, if, if what you're saying is true, why are there so many different denominations that disagree on so many things? And people have had those encounters where they said, I've seen, I've seen two Christians, they'll get on something doctrinal, and they'll fight. I've seen them argue and get mad at each other. It's a valid question. And not, not to say that there's not different doctrinal things in the way we view things, but again, it's, it's about our unity and it's about how we disagree with people. Because we have to look at the obvious fact that there's a lot of people that say a lot of things and take part even of what Jesus says. And if we're not careful, we can have a Jesus of our own making. I like Jesus. I like what he says this. But then he says something else and that makes us a little uncomfortable. And so we create this kind of drive-through Jesus. In our Western world, we understand what drive-through or a buffet or, you know, I'll take a little of this and a little of that, and I don't want anyone telling me what I can or cannot take. I, I'd like a non-judgmental Jesus, please. I like that he's kind and loving, and, but I don't like some of his statements that are so emphatic and I want a Jesus that loves me, but that's not overly involved in my life. I'll take a Sunday Jesus, but I don't want him bugging me. I don't want him convicting me. I'll take a Republican Jesus, please. I'll take a liberal Jesus, please. Or I'll just take a little Jesus on, on the side which can become crisis Jesus. I know about that. We find ourselves in a desperate time, and desperate time, all of a sudden, our prayer life is really strong. We need Jesus to come through. Or we like aspects of Jesus. I like miracles Jesus. I like that he did miracles. And the story that we're going to look at today, this, this text that we're going to look at today, touches in on a little bit of that. But see, if we don't look at him fully and take him as he is fully, we get these different caricatures of him, and then we don't see the real him. And I believe that the world has yet to see, maybe in some ways, but even through the church, the real Jesus. And I want them to see him in and through us and not caricatures of him. And so today, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to let Jesus speak for himself and what did he say about himself. And so we're going to kind of look at some passages and what was he saying and hear from him. Coming off the heels of the Easter celebration, and I said this at the beginning of the Easter service, but that you know, his death, his resurrection validates everything he ever said about himself. Because ultimately, that was the boldest claim he ever made, is that the Son of Man, I will die for you in three days, I will I'll be raised from the dead. And so if he accomplished that, it validates everything he said about himself. And so we're going to look at what he said about himself. One of my favorite speakers and authors, and some of you know who this is, maybe you don't, but his name is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel works for a church in Chicago and. Years ago in the 70s, he would have described himself as kind of a, at the very most, he was kind of a hanging by the thread agnostic. He was more atheist, 
but agnostic. I'm not totally removing the idea that there might be something out there, but he was really, really probably more heavily into atheistic ideas. And so he was an investigative reporter. And his testimony, his story is really, really interesting. And the reason why I'm sharing it is where I'm going today is because as an investigative reporter, and Lee Strobel, if you've ever read his stuff, he, this guy is brilliant. I mean, he is way smarter than me, um, and, 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 and that's not saying much, but, uh, but this guy is brilliant. He's a brilliant mind, and, then, and so as an investigative reporter, in the 70s, he was going to write a book called The Case Against Christianity. I mean, that he went in to do this. And he says, you know, later on, if you hear him tell the story, he said, well, to do that, you can't just make emphatic statements to say, well, I just don't believe in God or I don't believe in Christ. And, and then that, you have to have a basis for what you believe. And he says, as an investigative journalist, I had to have the integrity to study everything to make a conclusion. You can't just... And, you know, maybe you've had people, you've had, you know, discussions with people, and maybe they just make this blanket statement. Well, what he says is, with integrity, you can't really make the blanket statement. You have to have a source. You have to have a foundation to say those things. And so he said, I couldn't just say, I don't believe it, you know, the end. He said, I had to investigate it. I had to study it. And so he said, I, I, I got a Bible. I studied the Bible. And also he studied first century historians, secular historians. And the end of the story is through this whole period of time that took, I think, a couple, two or three years. I mean, he really, really researched. He really, really dug. And he said, I want to dig for truth here. Through that process of two to three years, by himself, no one really led him. He accepted Christ as a Savior and became a Christian. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing him. But he really, really, with integrity, wanted to find out the truth. Now, he was intending on writing, here's why Christianity is not true. And he was hoping that he was going to find all of this stuff that, that just would point away from Christianity being true. Because here was his first conclusion. This man, Jesus... Jesus Christ of Nazareth really did walk the earth historically. That is a fact. He said you can study it's not just in Scripture, but first century historians, Josephus, people, secular historians that weren't Christ followers. He said there's no way that you can deny that Jesus Christ was not on the earth. He was here. There's no way to deny that. He said there are even atheists that know, that believe, and he said, an atheist that has any integrity about them at all cannot deny the fact that Jesus was here. Now, they will, they will wipe him out as that he was delusional in what he taught, but they will have to at least at the very foundation say that he was real, that he was here. So that was his first conclusion, is that he was really here and he lived, and so we can't deny that. And so the second part, is what he, he said, what he considers his claims, what he said of himself. He's here, and now he has made some very bold declarations about himself. 
He really said these things. Of course, ultimately, he showed that there was no way to disprove the resurrection. He said his, his followers, they, they sold on everything. They were willing to go to horrific deaths. All of the, all the apostles except John died martyred deaths, I mean, tortured to death for their belief. And he said it all goes back because they saw the resurrected Christ and they said it's real. And you see in the first century this explosion of Christianity that a lot of people go, well, I can't really explain it. We can. It's called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It really happened. But he said while he was here, he made claims. And so you have to look at those claims. And you have to say, well, either he's delusional or he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, what does that mean to you and me? And ultimately, the resurrection validates his statements. And so we're going to look at some of the I am statements that Jesus made, and we're going to allow him to speak again for himself. And I I encourage you to allow him to speak to your heart today. Allow him to challenge you, and then we have to respond to his invitation to life lived with him and for him. And so Jesus, several times in John, and we're going to be looking at some of those over the next couple of weeks, but what is significant when Jesus says, I am? I am this, I am that. Let's let's take a look at that. We're going to go to the next one. All right. John 8, 58. If you look at the entire chapter, uh, John chapter 8, Jesus is in this conversation with the religious leaders of his day. And they're going back, they're arguing with him, they're debating with him as it was known for them to do. And I'm not going to look at the whole thing here, but it gets to the end and he says this, John 8, 58, uh, because he says, Abraham was glad to see my day. And they knew kind of what he was getting at and they said, what do you mean? You're not yet, you're about 30 years old. What do you mean, Abraham? What are you talking about? that you're 30 years old and you've known Abraham? And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. That's interesting that he would say that. Right after he says this, now you have to get this, this is very powerful. Right after he says that phrase, it says they took up stones and they were gonna kill him on the spot. Why would they do that? Because they understood that his declaration was, he was saying, I'm God. The deity of Christ, we believe that he was God in the flesh and dwelt among us. And he was saying it right there, I am God. Because the cross reference here is Exodus 3. Remember when Moses uh, was at the burning bush and God is calling Moses and he's commissioning him to say, I want you to go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that almost feels a little weird from an English point of view, like, you know, when your grammar, I am has sent, I am what? He's just the ever-present one. He is God. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I am. 
And so he's saying, I'm God. I am God incarnate. And the Pharisees said they were going to stone him to death because they knew exactly, and these guys were the brilliant scholars of the day, they knew exactly what he was saying. And so throughout the book of John, Jesus makes these claims about himself, and he begins these statements, and he says, I am. He says, I am statements. We're not going to look at them all, but we're going to look at a few over the next couple of weeks as we look at authentic Jesus and let him speak for himself. Let's just look at those. Here's some I am's from the book of John. We will deal with the first one today, I'm the bread of life. But he also says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. What does that mean? And we're going to maybe look at that one. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are just things in the book of John that he says of himself. These emphatic I am statements. That's what Jesus said of himself, not me, not some theologian somewhere. This is what Jesus said of himself. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life from John chapter 6. We're going to be going to John chapter 6 in a few moments. If you want to go there, it will be up here, the passages that we'll look at. One modern-day theologian calls John chapter 6 the church shrinkage seminar. You've heard of church growth, and uh, this is the church shrinkage seminar because of what Jesus says. Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. And bread is an interesting metaphor for Jesus. And if you do just you know, kind of a quick search of the Gospels, you'll find bread referenced very often. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to do a whole study on bread, but it's very powerful in context of why Jesus would say he was the bread of life. These are not up here, and I'll just read these for you. In Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus was responding to the devil in the wilderness. He was being tempted. And Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is indicating early on that there's more to life than just physical bread. In the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? You guys have heard it. Give us today our daily bread. The word of God, which is Jesus himself. He's also called the word of God. Our daily sustenance. Right before his death, remember we just celebrated on Good Friday. Remember he institutes, he's doing the Passover with his disciples and Jesus took bread and what did he do? He broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And so in that moment, he was saying, I am the bread of life. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So why this whole thing of bread? Bread was the main thing eaten in those days for daily meals. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so that we are, we are told through that if we hunger for the right things, we will be satisfied. If we hunger for the wrong things, we will never be satisfied. So here's the main idea. If you're writing things down, here's the main idea for today. We all have a spiritual hunger. Everyone's created with it. What are you trying to fill that hunger with? What are you trying to fill that hunger with. Think about that. Write it down if you want. 
Ask yourself this question, what am I trying to fill my spiritual hunger with? And allow God to show that to you. Here's the first question I want to ask before we get into the text. Are you hungry for what Jesus can do for you or are you hungry for him? Are you hungry for what Jesus can do for you or are you hungry for him? Because most of the time when people get disillusioned or disappointed with God, it's because of this issue. I wanted God, I wanted Jesus to do something for me. It didn't happen like I thought it was going to happen. And so I'm disheartened, I'm disappointed. And so are you hungry for what he does or can do for you? Are you hungry for himself? The context of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life here in John 6, comes on the heels of Jesus feeding 5,000 men and their families. So it even makes it more significant. Jesus met their physical need in a very powerful way, and then they followed him across the lake. And he told them that they were following him because he had satisfied them physically. But there was so much more that he was wanting to offer them. So look at John 6. I'm not going to read the whole thing through. But in the very beginning of this, John 6, 1 says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him. Listen to this. Followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed by healing the sick. So why are they following him? Because he had done miracles. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover feast was near. And so these people are following him because he had done miracles. He is drawing quite a crowd. He was very popular at certain times. And so then we have, you know, him asking Philip, you know, hey, we got all these crowds. They're worried that, you know, the disciples are going, man, it's going to take all this kind of money to feed all these people. What in the world? How are we going to do this? And another disciple says, well, this little boy has offered his lunch. You know, we could get into the whole thing of offering God what you have. That's a very powerful sermon for a different day, but we're not even going to spend a lot of time there. Is this, that this boy gave all that he had to Jesus. Jesus broke the bread, and he fed the multitudes in a miraculous way. But if you keep reading, that's not the end of the story here of where Jesus is going. And then it's interesting in verse 14, listen to this, this is not up on the screen, but that after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing what they intended to come and make him a king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the people were awed. He just fed 5,000 people. We've seen him do miracles. We're going to take him by force and we're going to force him to be king over us. Now, you would think in a certain line of reasoning that Jesus would go, yeah, that's exactly what you need to make me king. But remember what Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. I'm operating in a different kingdom. I'm operating in a different way of thinking. You cannot confine me within the world's way of thinking. And they were going to force him to be king. So he withdrew. He said, you know why you're forcing me to be king? It's because of what I can do for you, not for me myself. 
So he went away. So then his disciples, you know, starting in verse 16, you know, they go across the lake and Jesus, you know, gets up and he walks across the lake on the water. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. And the disciples are completely freaked out. They see him out there and, and he goes across the lake and walks across the water. So then he gets there, and uh, then we're going to pick up the story here in, uh, in, in John 6, 26 through 27. This will be up here. Jesus answered. Because they, uh, verse 25 says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, how in the world did you do that? We saw, you know, you saw your disciples get in the boat. We didn't see you get in the boat. How did you manage this? Of course, Jesus is probably thinking, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to try to make me king again. Verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. I encourage you to, after this message, take these words and read them and study them and ask, well, Jesus, what are you saying? I tell you the truth, you're, you're, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill and they were filled. And he said, look for something that will not spoil. Jesus was saying that we hunger and we work for food that perishes. And that is the, what he can do instead of who he is. Remember also what Jesus said? He said, what does that profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? See, Jesus is way more concerned with our inner transformation than our outward stuff. And that's why miracles were, I mean, he could do miracles because he could, I mean, it just was nothing to him. Miracles were not even a huge deal to him. That's why he would heal and say, don't go tell people what I've done for you because they're going to they're gonna try to make a spectacle of this and you're going to follow me for the wrong reasons. Yes, I do miracles, but I'm more interested in your soul because I could heal you and you could still walk away and be eternally far from God. I'm interested in your heart. Again, not that he doesn't do miracles, he does. And he says, we should hunger and work for food that lasts forever. That food comes from Jesus himself. And then they wanted a sign because they didn't want to just, they, they didn't want to just follow him for provision, but also wanted him to display his power. And so they asked for a sign too. Show us some miraculous sign. John 6, 30 through 33, let's go to the next one. So he just tells them, work for food... Look for something that's going to fill you from the inside, not just your physical things, not what just I can do for you. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? If you put on a show for us, we will believe you. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. And they're quoting back to remember when God supernaturally provided for the Israelites, he gave them this manna from heaven to feed them. And they said, you know, God did a miracle for our people, and as it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Saying that of himself. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is recounting the way that God provided for the Israelites in the desert that he sent manna from heaven. And then he's saying, God sent me the true bread from heaven to give life to the world. Isn't it interesting? All the stuff in the Old Testament points to Jesus. That one of the things when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's saying back in the Old Testament when God would supernaturally provide bread, he's supernaturally providing me for you, for your eternal life. And so it was a sign that pointed to Jesus all along. That he was the fulfillment. He was the bread come down from heaven. Then John 6, 34 through, 30, through 36, let's go to the next one. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, here it is, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Get that in your heart, in your spirit. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And so they had the bread of life standing right in front of them. It's like the Pharisees who knew about all of the prophecies of Messiah. They have Jesus in front of them. What do they do? They, they crucify him. They had the bread of life standing in front of them, but they did not believe. So later in the passage, Jesus lets them know that they have to take into themselves not just the provision of Christ, but Christ himself. And we'll see this as we move on. We'll see it unfold. Because here's the second question, are you hungry for the temporary or the eternal? So this is, this is a valid question, especially in today's culture. Are you, are you hungry for the temporary or the eternal? We chase the temporary. Fame, fortune, or we vicariously live through famous people. That's why they're famous. So we pay $100 to see them sing. And we want to be like them, except their lives are broken and falling apart, and we elevate them as the pinnacle of life, and it's so sad. Fortune, hobbies, when we get money, we want more money. With our leisure, we take more. We take more stuff, we take more time to make ourselves happy, only to find at the end that we're not very happy. Because the temporary never fully satisfies. You know, that's why we have the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of our leaders are reading a book called The Explicit Gospel right now. And Matt Chandler talks about why the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you ever read that and just got a little more depressed? It's like, God, I'm not quite sure why this is so sad. You know, Solomon is just saying meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Well, you know what the point of that book is? is here you have Solomon 
And he indulges in every possible worldly, fleshly thing to the nth degree that he can get his hands on, and it ultimately leads to not being satisfied. Like riches, money. The amount of money that he had access to was like mind-boggling to us, staggering. It was so Gold was, uh, he had so much gold that silver was like common. He would treat silver like a rock. And so he had all of the riches that you could possibly have, and yet he concludes that it's empty and lifeless and not fulfilling. That doesn't mean that if you have money that you have to get rid of it all to be happy. It just means that you cannot find happiness in it. That if you have it, yes, for God's glory and say thank you, God, for your provision, but ultimately it's God's and he didn't find happiness in it. And so then he said, well, you know, I'll... he was in a, you know, gardening and so he built forests instead of gardens. And ultimately it left him empty, so he worked really hard. Then he just went crazy with pleasures of like, like feasting and partying, and he would have parties that would feed like 15,000 people, and he would just do these parties for day after day after day after day and have all of the most important people come to these parties and, and all the food that you can imagine, so he just basically just gorged himself and partied for day after day after day, and he said it's, it's unfulfilling. Again, that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy food for the glory of God, but he just said that he, would, he, he just made that the point of his life at one point. So money, fame, notoriety. Matt Chandler talks about, he said he didn't hire a band, he bought bands. And he would just have tons of instrumental, they would just be playing all the just parties that would last for like months. And then he went to the sexual side of things, and he did not do what his father David said. His father David said, stay close to God. Because if you drift away, you're going to wish you hadn't. And so Solomon didn't have just few wives. He had 1,000 women at his disposal. That's a complex man right there. So he withheld nothing from himself, and he gets to the end, and so he leaves nothing to the imagination, and yet his conclusion is emptiness, unfulfilling. I tried it all. I did it all with all my heart. I gave it all, and he, and he concludes and says, if I could tell you this, it's not worth it. Whatever you think your goal is outside of God, it's not worth it. If you're striving to that thing or you're striving, it's not worth it. So what are you filling your hunger with? So let's look at the next passage and, you know, because Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. So they, they begin to understand kind of what he's saying about himself. And they're getting now a little bit offended and they start grumbling and they start complaining about what he's saying because they understand what he's starting to say. And he says this, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. 
So the Jewish leaders were offended by what he was implying of himself, that he's the living bread, he's the sustenance, he's the fulfillment of the hungry soul, he himself. And the crowds were like, whoa, wait a second, we like it when you fed us miraculously and you did a few miracles, that's really cool, but now you're saying that you are the fulfillment of our soul. Who who do you think you are? So let's go to the next one, John 6, 47 through 50. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am, and he says it again, I am the bread of life. And then he repeats kind of what he said. He said, your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But there is the bread that comes down from heaven, which man may eat and not die. That's a powerful statement. Again, he's saying this I am statement. He says, your forefathers ate manna. In other words, they saw miracles. God did miracles, but they still died. It doesn't matter how many miracles that you you feel like you need or you want to see. We're all going to die, and we're going to stand before him on that day. And Jesus is saying, they saw miracles, they died, but here is the bread, because he said, I am the bread of life. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which... A man may eat and not die. What was he saying of himself? He was saying that he and he alone is the fulfillment of the hunger of the human soul. Nothing else. No other religion. No other God. No earthly thing. No temporary thing. Not that new thing that you have to have, not a new job, not a new spouse, not a new house, not even the answer to the prayer that you think you might be looking for. He was saying, he is the source and the only thing that can fill our spiritual hunger. But the implications of what he says here too are even greater because he's implying that through him is the way to find eternal life. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. And he's talking spiritually that we would find eternal life through him. If we're consumed by him, we won't die, spiritually speaking. So Jesus, again, he's drawing from their ancestors' experience in the desert. They ate manna daily and they died. In other words, the manna from heaven the children of Israel received was temporary and had a temporary effect. They received daily provision, but it would be, they'd get hungry the next day, just like us. And so isn't it interesting that God even uses our physical hunger to reveal Christ? That's why Jesus, even when he's praying, said, give us today our daily bread. Who is the daily bread? It's him. That's why we need him every day. You ever have those times where you just stuff yourself, usually in the holidays, and we always say, I can't eat another thing. In three hours, we're starving again. Isn't that funny? Oh, I won't eat for days. Oh, yeah, you will. You'll be eating in a few hours. My mom, if you're like on the... I don't know if this is a southern thing or maybe you guys maybe can understand this, but you know, after Thanksgiving, she just leaves everything on the stove and it's just kind of sitting there with covers and stuff on it. And, you know, we walk by after we're eating and we're like, no way, no way. You know, about an hour later, that's looking pretty good again. 
About three hours later, I'm filling up another plate, you know, I mean, and it's like just, and, and, and I had vowed to myself, I'm not going to eat for days. And I love that hunger even should remind us of Christ. Give us today our daily bread. We need him every day. But he fulfills us. And he is the only thing that can fill our spiritual hunger. So in closing here, Jesus' final thoughts in this whole passage of what he's saying of himself, and we're going to go there. Here's the church shrinkage seminar aspect of this, 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 and I want you to hear his heart because he puts an exclamation point on what he's been saying, starting in verse 52. We're going to look at a few of these things here, but then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. Okay, stop right there. Why are they arguing among themselves? These guys are experts in religious law writings and, and, and all the stuff of even, you know, where he's referencing back to manna in the desert. He's talking. They knew what he was implying. They knew what he was saying. And they begin to argue among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is the real food, and my blood is the real drink. What in the world is he saying here? If you're new to the faith or people that may be like searching, they come in and they hear this, man, they're like, okay, I'm out the door. What, what is this guy talking about? Take a chunk out of Jesus' arm. What is he saying? What is he getting at? Some have said that this is where they draw in, where we take communion, that communion actually becomes the real flesh and blood of Christ. I, I don't believe that. But Jesus is making a very, very bold statement here. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Let's go to the next slide. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What is he saying? He said, I am the bread of life. And if you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you will have life in you. Verse 59, he, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They were struggling here about what he was talking about, what he was implying. Aware of his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? <clears throat> And I think Jesus stands in front of us all and says, here's the invitation. Here's what I'm asking of you. Here's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Unless you are completely consumed with me, 100%, you're not going to get it. And then our response can be a number of things, and it might just kind of offend us a little bit. And Jesus looks at us as he looks at him, does this offend you? 
Because as we know, if you look at his words, he didn't mind offending people. He didn't purposely offend. He just said, here's the truth. Does this offend you? Then in verse 62, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them would not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say this, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this, many, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What does it say? From this time, many of his what? Enemies? No. Many of his disciples, many of his followers, not, the, not, his, not his core group, but from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They walked away. These are the people that were saying, this is way too hard. We, we, we know what you're implying here. You are implying some huge things. We thought that we were following you just kind of for what you could do for us and that you were going to take over and you're going to beat up on the Romans and you, know, you were going like, to make your glorious kingdom and that we would be with you and we would cheer for you and we kind of had a plan for your life, Jesus, but now you're starting to say stuff that is very offensive to people. You're talking about totally being consumed with you. I was just kind of happy with just a part of you. I like you on Sundays. I, I like you on, at the prayer meeting, but I want you to leave me alone in the other times. I, want, I wanted a Jesus that didn't bug me and didn't convict me and just kind of let me do my thing. And then when I needed you, you would be like a genie in the bottle and you would pop up and you would be there for me. But what you're saying now is really, really tough. So we're out of here. And he watched a big group of his followers, again, not his enemies, when your enemies walk away, that's really not that big of a deal. You're kind of expecting that. You know, uh, we, don't, we don't really like what you have to offer. and we're, we're out of here. You know, that'd be easy to just say, okay, you know, that, that's fine. But when your friends start leaving, that's tough. What was Jesus' response? He turned to his 12 in verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Do you guys want to leave? Because the crowd that I just made very uncomfortable, they're out the door, man. They're gone. Because they, I'm preaching a very, very hard, hard message here. And he gave them an open door. If you're, now's the time to hit the door, man. I, I, I love you guys deeply, but you need to know what I'm inviting you to. I love Peter's response. Because, you know, they don't say, we get it, we understand what you're saying. I think that they were maybe having a little turmoil too. But he says, Lord, whom, who, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus is saying, you need to know what I'm asking of you of what it means to be my follower. 
If you want to be my follower, Jesus says in another place, you have to take up your cross daily and you have to follow me. You have to set aside your selfish ambition. You have to die to yourself. So what was Jesus saying of himself here? I am the bread of life. It was just kind of a neat little thing that we put up on the fridge. Jesus is the bread of life. It's so much more than that. What was his invitation? And he'd say, what are you filling your spiritual hunger with? He was saying, I want you to be completely consumed by me. That Christianity can only be understood with a 100% unconditional surrender to Christ. If you're hanging on to 1% of your life, Jesus says, it's going to frustrate you. At some point, you're going to hit that wall, and that 1% is going to be so important to you. You have to give me everything. And they knew that. His followers knew that he was saying that. You eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, all of this kind of gory talk. And he was saying, you have to be completely consumed with me. And they said, that's too hard for us. And they walked away. Jesus, that's just too exclusive. That's too narrow. I mean, come on, we're in a society now that, you know, you don't don't want people to be narrow-minded, except Jesus said that the way to eternal life was narrow. And we have gentle, lowly, lovely, British, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus standing there. Not really. Because we like that. We like for him to... Be a Jesus of my own making, not to say, I, I like your nice things, but your hard things, I'm not quite sure. So we'll just push that. And Jesus said, this is a package deal. You notice that he did not chase them down that was wrong. Hold on just a second. Come here. Come here. Let me help explain it to you a little bit better. Maybe, maybe this will help you to swallow it a little bit easier. He didn't apologize for what he said. He didn't try to soften the blow to them. He was saying, This is it. This is what it means. He turns to his 12 and says, you guys going to leave me too? This is what it means. And again, I encourage you, don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Let Jesus speak for himself to you. And so this, these words, I am the bread of life, that he says to us, and he doesn't just say it to them, and he's saying to us, will you eat of my flesh? Will you drink of my blood? What will our response be? To surrender maybe completely to him and give him parts of our lives that we've maybe kept to ourselves, allowing him to fill the hunger of our souls. Will you be disappointed today and, and walk out and say, That's, I, I, I don't agree with that? Well, Jesus was saying it's 100% or it's nothing. It's full consumption or it's nothing. He said you can't just eat a little bit of his flesh and drink a little bit. It, it's, you have to fully partake of him. He would say it like this. He wants full access to your life. 
See, because a lot of times we approach Jesus, and this is, why, this is the crowd. Remember, they had seen the miracles. They saw him feed the 5,000. They may have been a part of that, and they saw supernatural things going on. They saw him healing. And sometimes we can approach Jesus with this almost a contract mindset, almost where we're divorced before we're even married. What happens in a divorce? This is yours. This is mine. And we, maybe we won't say that. Maybe we won't do that. But in our hearts, we say, Jesus this is yours, but this is mine. We're going to draw a line in the sand and that you can have that part, but I'm keeping this. You can have Sundays. I'm good to go. Sunday morning. Let me clarify. 10 to 11.30, hopefully. We're a little over that. Maybe noon. But you leave my Friday and Saturday alone, please. That's my weekend, Jesus. You need to know that. Leave me alone. That's, that's where I'm, I want to do the things that I want to do. That's me time. Guys, I don't preach to you. I don't, I don't preach down to you. This is so challenging to me. But how many times have we approached him and we have the contract, maybe not... <laughs> We wouldn't say it out loud, but we have it in our hearts. This is my time, this is your time. This is my money and this is your money. I'll give you this little bit and if I have enough left over, I'll give you. But here's mine, Jesus. I'm in control of my money. Please do not tell me what to do with my money. Jesus, do this for me, and I'll do this for you. We'll just have an agreement there. Jesus, answer my prayer, and I'll give you a little cool shout-out on Facebook. Little cross picture or something. Everybody go, oh, it's a cross. He wants full access of our lives. John chapter 6 is him saying, I want full access, and I don't apologize for that. And he's saying, I want full surrender of your life, not just a little Jesus on the side, but he says, if you want to find true happiness, you want to find true life, you want to find true fulfillment, you find it in fully consumption of Jesus Christ. And his invitation to us today is, will you give it all to me? When we're doing the thing of, Jesus, I, I, you can have this time. And then, you know what? I think he just kind of puts his arm around us, and he kind of probably smiles and says, okay, you, you ready to put that down? Unless you are fully consumed with me, you're not, this is all going to lead you to frustration. It'll, it'll lead you to unfulfillment. And so his invitation is that, what will your response be? Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we love you today, Lord God. I, I just thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear. Jesus, what you said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. And Lord, it's not purposely offensive. Just like I believe, Lord, that when you said these things, it was not that you were just trying to be 
belligerently offensive. You were just saying, here's the truth. Here's life. Here's true life. And I want you to have true life. But in the midst of that, Lord, some people got offended. Lord, I pray that our response to you would be full access, that we would surrender completely. And I pray, God, that in here today, Lord, that whatever we're holding on to, whatever areas we're saying, God, I, 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 I've kept them for myself, Lord, that we would just begin to give those up. And it'd be very tempting for me to put some soft music on right now and try to set the mood, kind of stroke your emotions a little bit, but I don't want to do that today. Just encourage you right where you're at. Just do business with God. Just talk to him. Be honest with him. He's not looking for you to be religious. He's just saying, be honest. Lord, I, I, there's areas I have held on to and I have not allowed you in and I give you full access today. Lord, I pray for that for my own heart and areas where I have said this is mine. God, forgive me. Help us as the fellowship of broken people run to you today and surrender our hearts to you. God, thank you for your people. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your love. Lord, may we respond in a right way to your invitation to us to give you full access. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God